Sports Fanatics, we are Luca Vitalik, Ryan Walterman, and Ben Schmidt. Let us introduce you to a weekly favorite sports podcast on KCOU 88.1 FM. On Around the Wave, several guests and us provide you the most thorough Mizzou sports coverage. Also, NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL coverage where we debate. Hear me out. He would be the number one guy. I mean, right now they have St. Brown, who had 912 yards, so Samuel would obviously get over 1,000 yards. They just lost Stafford, so they could get another big man back. And, I mean, although they're not good, I think Detroit's almost there. They just need to add a little bit more, and I think what? they can compete. They're almost I think they can there. compete. I think they can compete. They didn't look bad last year, man. I'm telling you. I know they only had three wins. Do you know any Detroit sports fans? Do you know any? I'm on a Detroit radio show on Monday. Th- that, that excludes you from the conversation already. Provide legendary list. At number three, the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't even have to talk about these players that much because I've talked about it multiple times here in the last month because I love John Moran. He is an absolute superstar. One player I haven't really talked about is Dylan Brooks, who is on the way back. Um, a really key role player for that team who we've seen across stretches for the Grizzlies be really huge for them. They're 20-11 and 11 against teams over 500. And give bold predictions. But from a numbers perspective, we are talking about the only defenseman in history who has ever approached the level of the Boston Bruins legend Bobby Orr and now we got Kale McCarr who is now approaching Paul Coffey and Bobby Orr level. So join us every Thursday morning at 9 o'clock central time on KCLU 88.1 FM. We hope to see you there. And welcome back to Around the Waves, everyone on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luke Vitale, and alongside me is my co-host, Ryan Walterman, and joining us from a faraway land is Ben Schmidt on the call online. So before we get started here, um, well, it's sort of a an emotional day. Ben, uh, can you hear us from the faraway land that you were at in uh, Plainfield, Illinois? Yes, I can. About six hours away, but uh, I'm still here and I'm ready to go. All right. Well, before we get started, usually we start with uh, Mizzou news uh, regarding sports, but um, it's definitely an emotional day. Uh, as Ryan Walterman, this is his very last show as a co-host on Around the Waves. Uh, so sort of a tribute to him as a sort of a farewell sort of aspect. Uh, Ryan and I started this show my freshman year, my very first semester at Mizzou, which feels like forever ago as I am now a junior. Uh feel pretty old. I'm not going to lie. But Ryan, it's been a pleasure to work with you all of these semesters. We started in the C stream all the way back in fall of 2020 as that feels like it was forever ago. Um, I remember 
one of my very first things I wanted to do when I got to Mizzou is start a radio show here at KCOU. And you were one of the people that I spoke with as being one of my co-hosts. Obviously, as everyone can probably put two and two together, Ryan is obviously the one that I decided to pick for my co-host all of these years. In fact, he is the one that came up with Around the Waves as I was a complete failure coming up with a name for the radio show. I will not be sharing with those over the FCC airwaves because how bad they were. Um, But, you know, Ryan, it's been a pleasure, honestly, all these years, and we are going to miss you. Um, You are responsible for the name. You're responsible for making this radio show so successful. You're responsible for bringing Ben along on our radio show talking about a bunch of nonsense NBA on the FCC airwaves, but we respect that. Um, I will miss talking hockey with you. Um, A lot of good arguments about the St. Louis Blues and Jordan Bennington, but uh, Ben, uh, go ahead and take it away and what you want to say to Ryan. Yeah, I mean, freshman year, little did I know when when I met Ryan in, in a Spanish class that was completely online and we just happened to connect in one of the breakout rooms on a Zoom. Little did I know that would lead to uh, me joining around the ways at the end of that semester and then into last year where obviously I've 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 been good enough to make it make it here. And that's all thanks to Ryan. So um, it, it's been an incredible experience to Ryan. Ryan is a fan of, of multiple teams that are rivals with the teams that, that I like. So we've had some really fun conversations and some debates with him being a Packers and a Cubs fan. So it, it's always been great to, to not only talk, what, uh, hang out with Ryan, both on the air and off the air. And, and truly I am, I'm very excited to see what he does in his next steps because, um, an incredible person, incredible broadcaster and, and the future is absolutely bright for, for Ryan Walterman. So absolutely going to have to fill that void if, if possible. I'm not sure that it is, but absolutely going to miss Ryan next semester and beyond. And, Oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll be staying in touch uh, for the future. So Ryan, it was, it was a great to, for this basically last year and a half to, to get to know you and, and do the show and excited to see what the future holds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, guys. The, uh, sorry about that. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. I mean, uh, I feel like it was just yesterday when Luca was uh, asking me to be his co-host and uh, funny story real quick. Uh, I didn't even know KCOU existed until my two friends came up um, my freshman year. My Actually, I guess it would be my freshman year, but I transferred here, so technically speaking, I would have been a junior at the time. But um, I kind of just ran into uh, the radio station, and I was talking to, um, I forgot his name, but uh, he was a graduate. He's, he graduated, I think, two years ago, maybe last year. I'm not exactly sure, but he told me that they do radio shows here, and I had no idea. And I was like, how do I get on one of those? And they basically just told me that, you know, you would have to... Uh, Go through all this stuff and then um, try to find someone. And luckily enough, Luca needed someone, and I was happily able to f- fill his void. But uh, you know, um, bring, you guys bring a grown man to tears. Honestly, it's it's been so surreal. I can't believe it's, it feels like it just flew by. And uh, you know, I'm gonna miss you guys so much. I'm happy that uh, Ben and I will be able to keep on doing a podcast as we got something in the works uh, that we're gonna try to do with baseball. So that's gonna be exciting. Uh, Luca, I know that um, I'll always be able to talk to you, man. And hockey is definitely gonna be—it's gonna be hard for you, I know, because Ben, you're gonna need to start learning hockey, man, because it's—it's it's gonna be tough for Luca to just talk by himself for uh, a couple of hours there. But well, hold on. I mean, I gotta talk to Justin about how 
asinine. Yep. His Pittsburgh <laughs> Penguins take is he cannot let that go. He, he really can't let that go. But nevertheless, uh, Ryan, obviously, from a professional standpoint, I hope I was able to teach you as much as I was able to. And obviously, personally as well, you've taught me a lot as well. Uh, ben, I hope uh, the same could be said for you. Um, but uh, just everyone is clear. Ben and I will be together again next semester in Justin Kraft, who we had, uh, I believe, once or twice this semester. We definitely had him in the uh, spring semester. Uh, he will be joining Ben and I uh, for the foreseeable future until he graduates. And, you know, with, with Justin, he's going to bring you some. He's going to bring you some funny takes. I know that with me, I had some I had some not not so good takes, but, you know, that's kind of what I was known for. That's what it makes a show fun. Exactly. I, I kind of called myself the Stephen A. of the show. Uh, <laughs> so that was always exciting. But I'm happy that, you know, I'm kind of leaving a legacy. And, you know, even though I'm leaving, you still have great people. I mean, Ben's going to be a great co-host. Justin's going to do great things. And, Luca, you're already doing, you're already doing great things. But you guys taught me everything I knew uh, and, I, and I know. And it's it's really just all because of you guys that I'm where I am today. And uh, I really can't appreciate, I really can't say thank you enough, honestly. All right, Ryan, well, we wish you nothing but the best for your future endeavors. But let's get going here for some Mizzou sports. First things first, we're going to talk with, first things first, is Mizzou football. And it's been a very busy week for Mizzou football. Whether from its acquiring its very first transfer portal commitment in wide receiver Theo Weiss Jr. to saying goodbye to players like Hyron White as they find new homes for next season. Now keeping that in mind, bowl games begin tomorrow with the Bahamas Bowl, but the Tigers have another full week to prepare for Wake Forest. It has been announced that three Mizzou seniors had announced their plans to sit out the Gasparilla Bill to turn their focus to the NFL draft. And those players are Isaiah McGuire, DJ Coleman, and Martez Manuel. Meanwhile, another nine players have entered the transfer portal since the regular season finale against Arkansas. And those nine players are Dominic Lovett, Tyler Macon, Hyron White, uh, Travion Ford, Devin Nicholson, Zach Lovett, Jelani Williams, DJ Jackson, and punters Jack Stonehouse. And just yesterday, more, new, more news actually broke. Uh, Mizzou quarterback coach Bush Hamden actually accepted the job for the offensive coordinator job at Boise State. He was the quarterback's coach here at Mizzou. In Chris Abrams' drain, it was rumored that he was going to declare for the NFL draft, but he will actually return for another year at Mizzou next year. So a lot of news lately that has broke for Mizzou football. But having said all that, Ryan, I'll start with you here. Which regular season backup from this season is primed from a huge game against Wake Forest? Are we talking like quarterback or just any type of Any backup? player. Any backup? Um... Surprise me. Man, that's that's a tough one, honestly. Um, I don't know because you, obviously Brady Cook's probably going to be starting the game, but if they do throw someone else in there, I mean, you could always you could always see uh, something like a Sam Horn maybe absolutely just completely just show the world what he can do. I mean, obviously he came in uh, that one game. I forgot who they played. Um, New Mexico State. Yeah, New Mexico State. And he, he looked really good. And honestly, in a bowl game, I mean, why not just throw him out there? I mean, for the second half, maybe. I understand that this could this could very well be Brady Cook's last hoorah as we don't know who's going to be a starter next year, obviously, for this team. Mm-hmm. But I really think that a, a young quarterback like that could make its mark. But uh, I also... 
I also think that Luther Bowden's going to have a big game, and obviously that's due to Dominic Lovett, who I don't believe is going to be able to play in that game since he did decide to transfer, and he's still looking for a new school. So although, yes, he's not a backup, I think Luther Bowden is going to be the reason if the Tigers do win this game, it would be because of him. I think that he's had multiple great games. I just feel like some of his games this year have been really talented, just not against SEC teams because I feel like it's just harder to give him the ball against these, those SEC teams, but they're going to figure out a way against Wake Force, who's a really good team, nonetheless, but I do think Luther Burden can have a great game, and I would love to see Sam Horn. Now, I don't know what you guys think about that. Maybe you think Brady Cook should play the whole game, but I mean, it's a bowl game. I mean, yes, it counts, but I mean, in the in the end, does it really count? I mean, it's just an extra game, and that's kind of what your whole entire season you're playing for. Obviously, you're playing for an NCAA berth, but... Um, Obviously, the bowl game is something that every team tries to tries to get. And just the last thing I'll note here before I throw it over is I think it's funny that those Mizzou-Kansas things that, that came out, Kansas ended up playing Arkansas. And who did Mizzou just beat to get to a bowl game? Arkansas. So that they kind of chose the, uh, the wrong opponent there. If they were saying that Mizzou was scared of them, I think they were scared of Mizzou. I mean, obviously, there's a whole narrative that's been produced and been spread around, but... That's good. That's all fun and games. Now, in terms of Sanhorn playing in this game, I think he should play in this game. Now, not to start the game, I'll say to play the second half completely. That is what I will say, unless they're getting blown out in the first half, which I don't think is going to happen. My answer to this question is Dalen Carnell. Dalen Carnell, for those that do not know him, he is Martez Manuel's, I would like to call him the understudy. Of Martez Manuel. Uh, he played 300 in snaps this previous season. He's a uh, redshirt freshman, and he has been phenomenal in this defense. And we understand what Blake Baker's defense has been able to do this past uh, this past season. They're being able to put pressure on the quarterback. They're able to sack the quarterback. They're able to put. They're able to break up passes in the secondary. They're able to get interceptions in the secondary. All that good stuff. And honestly, the only thing that this defense has really made me worried about is over-the-middle passes in the seams passes. Those are the passes that have really put me uneased, as I would say. But at times, David uh, Dalen Carnell has actually been the more productive playmaker than Martez Manuel, one could argue. He finished the regular season with 26 tackles, four pass breakups, and a team-high three interceptions. So I think the future is bright at safety with Jelani Williams transferring, Martez Manuel declaring the NFL draft. So I think that's all fun and games, honestly. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's all fun and games because I think Dalen Carnell has a a bright future uh, here at Mizzou. Um, Dalen Carnell, according to football or pro football focus, he was the team's best defender in coverage with zero touchdowns allowed in zero penalties on 27 targets. The best part of this is he posted a passer rating of just 34.1 opposing quarterbacks when targeting Dalen Carnell, and that's the lowest of any defensive back or linebacker on the team. So I believe by him getting the start in this bowl game, the quarterback on Wake Forest, I believe it is Sam Hartman, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Sam Hartman. This is an individual that obviously – had some potential uh, non-football-related issues off the field. Uh, We wish him nothing but the best with those were. Um, But he obviously expected a rise in the midst of the 2021 season, not this season. But he was a potential first-round pick last year. But because of the non-football issues related this year, that obviously eradicated any sort of hope for that. 
but he is a good quarterback, completed 63% of his passes, 35 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's a dual threat, and I think Dalen Carnell in the secondary, I think he's going to present a threat to him, and that's what I'm going to keep it at that. Ben, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'll switch it back to the offensive side of the football here. And Ryan mentioned the receiving core a little bit with Luther. And I'm going to go with with a different receiver that I think we could see uh, make an impact to compared to how we've seen him play on the field so far this season. That's Mekhi Miller. And Ryan brought up how no Dominic Lovett, obviously Mizzou's number one receiver and in general one of the better receivers in the SEC this season, know him this game because he's entering the transfer portal. And that leaves the opportunity for another freshman to step on the scene in Miller, um, the freshman out of Overland Park, Kansas. And a guy that we saw have very limited opportunities, but in the Arkansas game, two catches of 28 yards, and one of those two catches happened to be an incredibly important catch that set the Tigers up to ice the game and beat Arkansas. Uh, and then he had another long one for 25 yards against Kansas. He had two for 38 against Florida. So very limited playing time this season. But when he stepped on the field, I mean, in three of four of his last five games, he had catches. And in all of those, it was, it was a catch that was moving the chains for 10 or 15 yards plus. So it's a guy that I think if you ask Mizzou fans about their offense next year um, and, and going in without Dominic Lovett, you say Luther Burden is going to be here and make an impact. Theo Wise, obviously, you get the new transfer for him. But I think the, the ones that watched most of the season would tell you that Makai Miller is someone that has an opportunity to really step up in the receiving core as he goes into his sophomore season and just 108 yards overall on the season. But when you consider how limited his snaps were, I mean, the average 18 yards a catch is, is pretty good in an offense that isn't necessarily taking deep shot after deep shot down the field. So, I mean, you look at Luther Burden's receiving numbers, and it's not like he was averaging. He was averaging less than 10 yards of reception. So, um, Makai Miller, I I think um, you you see him on social media just from afar. It seems like he may be one of the hardest workers on the the team and has been good in contested catch situations. So, I think if he sees more snaps this game, it would not shock me if we see Makai Miller maybe step up and go for 50-plus yards here against Wake Forest. It's a team that's that's used to playing in shootouts is not going to probably lock down Mizzou for the entire game. So we could see some offense here and lead to some opportunities for Makai Miller. Yeah, and Wake Forest is no slouch of a team. They were in the top 10 earlier this season. So this is going to be definitely a test whether Sam Horn does play in the second half. And like you said, Ben, I like that answer a lot. Makai Miller, he's definitely going to get his money's worth against a defense like uh, Wake Forest, as they like to call it. The Claw defense, because <laughs> of Coach Clawson. So I definitely think this is going to be a good test for uh, new contributors, whether that is going to be Makai Miller or even a starter like Luther Burden, who has need who needs to see more competition. Because Wake Forest does have a very good defense; they rank more in the top twenty in the nation against the pass. So we'll definitely see what we got to see here. And as well, for the defense with McGuire, with Coleman out for this game because they declare for the NFL draft, Hartman is a dual-threat quarterback. He's been a dual-threat the entire of his collegiate career. And he did end the season on a high note. He sliced, and I mean sliced, Syracuse in half. I mean, that was just embarrassing. But he still passed for at least 300 yards in the last four games of the season. So we're going to see what happens there. Ryan, do you have anything else to add? You know, one guy I did want to talk about that I just completely forgot about real quick here is Mookie Cooper. I think he could have a really good game. He has no touchdowns the whole entire year. Wow. And I think this is the game where he could actually, you know, because everyone's going to be guarding Luther. They know that Lovett's not going to be there, so they knew they know Luther's going to be the guy. So then they're going to need to be looking at more guys like Ben said. And you have Miller, you got Tosky Dove. And then Mookie Cooper, he's, uh, he's kind of like, you know, a shot 
in the dark because a lot of people are like, where was he this whole entire season? And in the bowl game, he may show up. Who knows? I mean, when you're the number four or pot, yeah, it could be three or four. It depends on how the game was. But when you're number three or four on the depth chart, you're not going to get as many targets as you would probably get an Ohio State like he did previously. But let's uh, fast forward now to the basketball season. As Mizzou women's basketball, they extended their winning streak to five games with a 74-61 victory over Jackson State Jackson State, excuse me, this past Sunday at the Friendly Kind Finds. With that victory, the Tigers improved their record to 11-1, and that is the sixth time in program history that they were 11-1, and this is also a feat that Robin, Coach Robin Pitchton has now accomplished three times during her tenure here at Mizzou. Mizzou will finish their non-conference schedule on Sunday in a bragg and rights showdown against Illinois at home. That tip-off is scheduled for 4 o'clock Central Time. Ben, you're the basketball aficionado here. How shocked are you? That Mizzou is eleven in one. I mean, I'm not. I, I'm. I think they are exceeding expectations. I'm not going to go out here and say that I am. I'm completely shocked and and that I did not expect this whatsoever. Because it, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this roster, and I think that it's a team. And I've talked about this, I believe, multiple times throughout the, throughout when we talked about this women's basketball team this semester. It's a team that came in hungry with something to play. They believe that they should have been maybe ranked higher at the end of last season than where they were. They thought going into the season, even though they had faded a little bit, that they should have been given a shot at the tournament, and that just didn't happen. And um, they they were having to wait till this year to, to try and write that ship. So I think that they came in with something to play for and, and we're very hungry and that's shown so far on the 11 and one start and, and to go down to, to Arizona and grab a couple wins and how Haley Frank's playing and, and shooting too, from the field at 49.2%. It's you're going to win a lot of games when you put up shooting numbers like that. And then, um, so I, I think, as the competition has gotten tougher to grab wins against teams like UMass and Arizona state, I think does a lot of really good things as you head towards this Illinois game, Illinois, if you look at it, will um, be right up there with the toughest teams they face. The only other one I would say would be number 11, Virginia tech, who they did lose to pretty handily, but there's a clear, there's a clear path here for the Tigers when they play winning basketball. And that's where uh, they get a lead weight. And then they have, have been able to shoot lights out to really put you away. It's not necessarily a team that we've seen have to play from behind and come from behind late. So I don't necessarily think that they, if, if they fall behind early in this one against Illinois, that I picked them to win. But if, if this is a Missouri team, that's up five to 10 points going into halftime, it's really hard to come back against them just because they shoot so well and they have multiple good shooters that, that can put you away and that have shot well from the field. So, so as we get more into this SEC schedule, I think it's a team that that can play because no matter the competition, I mean, there's there's some things uh, when you look at it for both men's and women's basketball, when you go from the easy to the tough competition, uh, like your defensive numbers and assists, stuff like that, that are going to change based on tough defense. But being able to shoot the basketball well is not going to change no matter who you play. And, and as long as they continue to get open shots, I think you're going to see Haley Frank and Lauren Hansen at the top of the list every single time and continue to put up field goal percentage that are they're close to 50% and that's going to be good enough to win against any competition so I expect them to keep this game against Illinois at, at the very least close and continue to play winning basketball because it's a team that they, they want to be playing in March in the tournament for sure yeah I, I, I mean Ben I totally totally uh, get where you're coming from in terms of exceeding expectations I got you 
Uh, obviously, we understand last season they started out of the gate on fire, and then as the season progressed, they got it, it was definitely a disappointment. That's that loss against Missouri State, Mississippi State. Those losses definitely continue to accumulate. Excuse me, and it just continued to be a disappointment. They lost in the WNIT. And we understand that. However, where I'm going to go with this one is what I'm most shocked about it is I didn't expect this team to be 11-1. Okay, I expected this team to be, I would say, 9-4 or 10-3. Okay, I expected them to pick some random loss up. Rather, that would be a Missouri, or actually no, Missouri State is actually not a bad team. I would say a UMass. Okay, that's what I would say. Maybe I knew they would lose to Virginia Tech. And then I thought they would lose to Missouri State. So that's 10-3 and three right there, right? The fourth loss could be another random team out in the open. That could have been a Jackson State, which actually was very competitive last year, and the SWAC last year. However, that's not where I'm going to go with this in this question. Where I'm going to go with this is I am extremely, and I mean extremely shocked, how good they are at rebounding this season. I initially thought the loss of the leading rebounder in Asia Blackwell, who now is at Baylor, would loom large on this team. I did not foresee the rise of Sarah Rose Smith as a rebounder. Credit to her. She has exceeded expectations. I I mean, she has been nothing but phenomenal. The numbers, they're impressive, considering how much the loss of rebounding talent was emphasized preseason. Coach uh, Coach Pynchon, she has clearly changed the scheme of this team. From relying on one player, which was Asia Blackwell last season, to corral most of the rebounds to a more cohesive and team-centered rebound scheme. And it's worked brilliantly. I I mean, it's just insane. I mean, we look at the numbers, right? We look at these numbers right now. Last season, the Tigers had 37.8 rebounds per game. This season, they have 38.1 rebounds a game. Then we take a look at the opposition rebounds. Last season, 31.6. This season, 31.4. So the numbers have improved in both categories. And then we talk about, well, what about the other things, the biggest contributors, right? We talked about last season. I remember this concept. We talked about it consistently throughout the season. Can Haley Frank be that playmaker that she was her freshman year, right? Because Asia Blackwell was taking all the attention last year in terms of scoring the basketball and getting all the rebounds. Well, guess what? Who could be the biggest contributor once Asia Blackwell right? And then we, everyone essentially said Haley Frank. However, I think one could argue that Lauren Hansen is the bigger contributor than Haley Frank. She has stepped it up massively alongside Haley Frank. And these two have formed quite the dynamic duo. As Hansen has averaged 15 points a game. And Haley Frank has averaged 14 points a game. Lauren Hansen has exceeded expectations. They've formed a dynamic duel alongside Haley Frank. They are both great at shooting the basketball, distributing the basketball, shooting beyond three-point range. And honestly, this team is definitely exceeding expectations. And honestly, the other thing that I think Robin Pinchon needs more credit for is the culture. It is definitely hard to change a culture when all these new uh, people come in, like uh, Kate Gilbert, Avery Kroenke, the freshman, and then Ashton Judge. It, it's complete, or Judd, excuse me, definitely a complete change, and honestly, credit to Coach Robin Pinchon, because when you have all these new players, it takes a bit to accum- accum- accumulate into this culture, but credit to her, because it, it's definitely looked good. 
Yeah, you know, get out there and watch the let's uh, watch the women's team Sunday. I understand that a lot of people are going home, but if you're still in Columbia, get out there. I mean, they're playing a nine and two Illinois team, a really good Illinois team. However, Illinois barely just beat the Butler Bulldogs, uh, a game that I think Illinois should have won more than just two points. However, nonetheless, this team is very exciting to watch. Go out there, watch if you're not doing anything Sunday. It's very exciting. Uh, but you guys talked about a lot of the the players on this team. I wanted to specifically talk about Ashton 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 Judd. Oh my. I keep Saying, yeah, I know. I said Judge, and then I said Judge. My bad. <laughs> yeah, Ashton Judd. Here we go. So, in her last couple of games, I mean, she's put up 12 points against Jackson State, and then, you know, against UT Martin, she had 11, Simo 11, and Bradley 12. So, you know, it's it's really nice to see a freshman score double-digit points like that, especially in games like those. But you hit the hammer on the head here, Luca, when you said that you were very, very surprised that they beat Missouri State to start the season. I really thought that that was a game that they potentially could lose. I think it was a trap game, in my opinion. Exactly. But then Ben came out and said, you know what? This team has something to play for. They're upset that they didn't make the tournament last year. And they really, they really put a spank in on Missouri State. So they did. it's it's exciting to see the women's team be eleven and one, and it, it's really exciting to see how long this is going to go. Because I really wish I was here Sunday because that Illinois game is going to be phenomenal. I mean, it's going to be a tremendous atmosphere. You got two really good teams going at it, and uh, what five game winning streak to a two game winning streak. Someone's going to lose, yeah. so it'll be exciting. But uh, like I said, get out there and watch the women's team because this women's team special this year. I mean, this is our last game, non-conference game, before they open SEC play. So definitely something to look forward to. But now let's sort of transition to the other basketball team here at Mizzou, the Mizzou men's basketball team. So unlike the women's team, who looks to def- defend their winning streak, the Mizzou men's team now looks to rebound from a 28-point loss against big-time rival Kansas. In that contest, the Tigers shot a season-low 40.4% from the field in that contest. And they're going to look to bounce back against UCF on Saturday. And that is tipped off, uh, tip off a schedule for 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. So, Ryan, we take a look at what happened, right? They lost by 28 points at home, 95 67. Last year, they lost by 50 at Allen Fieldhouse. But I think the I think it's appropriate to ask this question because they they started this season nine and zero. We had people had expectations. The fans had expectations. The media had expectations to go in this game and sort of keep it close against Kansas. They lost by twenty eight. But did your confidence sort of plummet in this team the way they looked on the field on the in the floor? Excuse me. First off, let me just say, electric atmosphere. I can't remember the last time it was that electric. I'm going to say the last time it probably was is when Kansas came to Missouri Arena and lost 74-71. to And I believe that was maybe 2006. I don't know. The last home game against Kansas? Yeah. 2012. Oh, John 12. So, yeah. So I mean, a decade ago. Exactly. And that's obviously when this Tigers team was good. And the one thing that I just really can't get off my mind right now is all the stuff I'm hearing online about how this team's absolutely horrible. And I can't believe that right now because, yes, it's Kansas. Kansas. Kansas is good. You know the SEC was going to make make the Tigers play a bunch of you know kind of knockoff games. Go into this game maybe eight and one, nine and zero oh is what they were, and obviously just get spanked at home. I mean that's what the SEC wanted the Tigers to do. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that this team's very new, and that and that um, chemistry is really bonded together. 
and this team is going to be special. I really do truly, truly believe that. Yes, it's Kansas, but the things that Gates said was, you know, we're gonna we're, we're gonna look past this. You know, we're ready to go. Now we know what it's like in a hostile environment at home. We're ready to go. I think that you know they got SEC. No, I think they have they have UCF, Illinois, then SEC play starts. Yep. But you know they have another bowl game as they play in the Orange Bowl, like like you said. Yeah, against UCF. Against I believe, UCF, yep. and that's gonna be a tough one. I mean, UCF eight and two. They're a decent team. So I'm thinking more of a Wichita State kind of feel for this game. It might go into overtime. But you know what the Tigers need to do is they need to just forget about the Kansas game going to this UCF game. If they keep thinking about that UC, if that Kansas game, they're going to start off bad like they did. Now, given no one knew that Grady Dick was going to start off the game three for three. I mean, that dude was just unreal. He had 15 it, points in the first yeah, quarter. Yeah, it was, it was just unreal. And, uh, you know, I really feel like, I know we were watching the game together at your place, Luca, and I just yeah. feel like Mizzou, you know, they were just taking dumb shots. A lot of the shots just weren't falling. And the thing that I know you kept constantly saying and I couldn't get over with was the amount of open lanes for Kansas. It was absurd how easily they would easily go in the lane, and then just the dunkathon, and it was just horrendous. It was a Jayhawk showdown in Mizzou Arena, and I think what the number one thing that Kansas did was take that crowd out very early, and that really hurt the Tigers. So I'm very hype on this team. I'm very high on this team still. I understand they're new. But, I mean, there's a lot to show, and you can't really just say they played bad against Kansas and this team's going to be horrible because, obviously, they haven't played anyone else beforehand. I'd say Wichita State kind of counts there. I understand that they're a mid-major, they're not like Kansas, but Kansas is above and beyond. That is a school that is national championship ready. Obviously, they won it last year. If this was maybe a Kentucky-Arkansas game, I think it would have been a lot closer. Kansas is just that good of a team, and, you know, one day, I'm just hoping the Tigers can beat them. Okay, before I let Ben go here, the uh, the schedule that we were talking about. Okay, so we get UCF. We get the they got UCF on Saturday, right? And then they got three straight ranked teams: number eighteen Illinois, number thirteen Kentucky, and number ten Arkansas. That is a gauntlet that they gotta go through. If they can take two out of the four, then confidence should be rising back. Okay, but Ben, uh, for someone that was there, tell us what the atmosphere was like. Oh, I mean, when you consider that the entire student section w- was full, and and there was there was all, all this all this hype for it ninety minutes before tip off even happened. I mean, it, as a person who uh, it's not like I was going out for Mizzou games in, there in twenty twelve, so by far the be- best atmosphere at a Mizzou basketball game I've ever seen, and it, it was it was packed all the way around. That's not something I can usually say. I mean, last year the only thing comparable in the student section was when Mizzou hosted number one um, number one. Auburn and played them all the way to the wire. And in that game, the student section was completely full, but the, the surrounding areas was really maybe 50% full at best. So this to have it really overflowing into standing room only and to have members of the football team there, there was alumni there that I saw Max Scherzer, John Anderson, all these different names that I can throw out there to have them all in one place for a couple hours. I think um, you can put it up there with, with atmospheres of some of the best sporting events, at least since I've gone to school here, but Ryan, I didn't even, I didn't, that was a very good comment that you made. Kansas took t- took the crowd out of it so early, and I, I said this to a couple other people. Um, it was like early on in the game you know, when when Kansas was on offense down near the student section, it was it was screaming and yelling every single possession. And then as I think back on the game, it's like, man, I I really don't remember being that loud more than halfway through the first half because it was like Kansas had had pulled away and had just really been outplaying Mizzou from really from the jump. I mean, Mizzou scored the, was up four to two, I think. And outside of that, it was all Jayhawks. So um, just commenting real quickly on that game and something that Mizzou has to look at is 
you look at all the open, you guys talk about all the open lanes for Kansas. It was always the extra pass, the extra pump fake to get Mizzou out of rotation. And then once that happens, you're just finding what guy has space because someone had to move and help. And for Mizzou, they just weren't having the ball moving like that. It was much more reliant on ISO ball. And, and when it wasn't, it was trying to work off the screen and the, the ability to make the extra pass there just wasn't for the Mizzou offense. And as you look at towards them moving on to this UCF game, they cannot afford a similar start like they had last Saturday against the Jayhawks because it's a UCF team that started the game last night on a 21 to zero run against Ole Miss and then ended up beating them by nine. So it's a team in UCF that can jump out of the gate fast. And for, for the Tigers, a team that really has not had to play from behind a ton this season, they can't afford to fall behind like that against UCF. It's not at their campus, but it's basically it's a home game because it's in Florida. And I would love to see um, as Trey Gomillion said, they don't count it as a loss. They count it as a lesson. I would love to see a lesson being learned from that Kansas game, um, a little bit more ball movement on offense. I know the defense wasn't great, but I think if Mizzou has a strategy similar to Kansas, and I know that's easier said than done. Not everyone can run an offense like Kansas. Um, I think if they were able to change up some things to get some better ball movement, uh, Mizzou maybe is hanging in that game a little bit more. But uh, there's there's certainly a lot to be taken away. I don't want to take say, uh, like you said, I'm not going to overreact to it because it's a team that was in the top of a lot of ca offensive categories in the entire nation heading into Saturday. So it's not like they need to scrap the whole thing and fix it. But there are there are certainly some things to take away. I just hope that they come out the game quickly. And you would think they would because it, coming off a loss like that, you would think they'd want to put that behind them as quickly as they could. You know, it depends how one views it, right? Do you view it a glass half full? Or glass half empty. That's what I took away from this game, right? Half full, okay, we we lost by 28 points. It's better than last year by was 50, right? Or we could take a lay and look like, man, we got destroyed. We looked like trash. It depends on how you want to view it. That's okay. However, Mizzou fans, they can't take away from this. They could say, yeah, Kansas dropped by two in the rankings. They, they could be happy with that. Having said all that, though, in this game, this is what I took away from it. Their offense was not sustainable the way they were playing offense before they were playing Kansas. It was not sustainable. I hope everybody knew that, so let's pump the brakes. Their defense, a couple of games when they were playing teams like SEMO, when they were playing teams like Southern Indiana, when they were playing teams like Wichita State, the way they were playing defense was going to be problematic when you're going up against teams like the Kansases, like the Illinois, like the Arkansas. It's going to be problematic, and sure enough, it showed up in Kansas. You cannot allow people like Jalen Wilson – or K.J. Adams Jr. wide open, undefended, in the paint for an easy dunk or an easy off-the-backboard sort of shot. You cannot allow that. You need to be—you have to make Kansas work for their shots. When Ryan and I were watching this game, Ben, I'm like, wow. Kansas is getting probably the easiest buckets I think I've ever seen. If you're going to lose against Kansas— Okay, fine, but make them work for their baskets. The reason they were shooting almost 60% in this game is because they barely had to work for their baskets. I mean, good Lord. I mean, the amount of points they had in the paint, whew. But the other one that really caught my attention 
and I mentioned this briefly when we talked about the preview of this game last week, is the ability to play in transition. Their lack of ability to get back on defense definitely cost them plenty of easy points in this game. And last but not least, Ben, I am sure you can agree with me here. When you have 21 turnovers, you are not going to win a basketball game. A lot of those turnovers were self-inflicted. There were two players in that game, in my opinion, that actually look good. Nick Honor and Demoy Hodge. That's it. Everybody else, they did not look good. Gomillion did not look good against K.J. Adams Jr. He looked completely overmatched. And DeAndre Goldstein also looked overmatched, too. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And it's I don't I don't know. It's it's certainly it's tough just to jump from the level of competition of where they were to Kansas. Uh, I'm not trying to make excuses. I would just throw one more name out there. I think in a really extended amount of minutes because I think the Tigers realized early how much of a disadvantage they were size-wise, so it caused them to insert Aiden Shaw for a very large amount of minutes, probably more than what they were planning for. As you look at the bench players outside of Shaw and East, Aiden Shaw, the second most minutes off the bench as a freshman. If I feel like in, in the limited shots we t- saw him take in, in the defense, I think there is – a lot to like here about what Aiden Shaw can do for this team in the future. I would just say that if you want to look at the bright side, I think Aiden Shaw is, there's still a lot to be figured out. And you saw in moments um, where I, there was one play in particular where he was all out of whack defensively and it led to an easy bucket, but you saw on the other end, he was on the receiving end of a high flying alley-oop. So there is just all sorts of talent in Aiden Shaw. And I think as we see him get more comfortable in this offense and move into the starting lineup, I mean, that's a player going into next year. When you look at exiting of Kobe Brown, but, Potentially, I'm I'm going to really have have Aiden Shaw on my as my watch list as we move into the end of this season and going into next season. That's a guy where I think you saw it just in little glimpses why why Mizzou fans are so hyped when he decided to come here before the season. All right, we're gonna head into a commercial break. Coming up, teams in the NHL they have been yay and some have just been nay. We'll be right back with you on KCOU 88.1 FM. You are listening to KCOU Columbia, 88.1 FM. Are you the type of person who loves their community and wants it to be the best it can be? Now it's easier than ever to do your part. Go to RecycleMode.com to see just how easy it is to recycle the right way. Or if you already recycle and want to be as efficient as possible, RecycleMode.com can tell you what should and should not be recycled in your area. Become part of the clean recycling movement today. It's the right thing to do. Sponsored by the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. Welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Hugo Vitale, alongside me, Ryan Walterman, joining us. Virtual call, Ben Schmidt. Let's get going to the NHL. Onto the ice. So, Ryan, let's sort of take a look. Let's, t- let's dive into some of the most disappointing 
NHL teams thus far as all teams have played at least 20 games. So that's a fourth of the way through the season. So, Ryan, tell me, which NHL team is the most disappointing to you thus far? Disappointing is obviously what this team was last year, so I know it's a tough, like, I'm not sure if you'll if you'll go for this, mm. but the team I went with is the Ducks, and this is why. Okay. They didn't have a single regulation win until November 22nd, yep. or, yeah, the 22nd, when All they right. beat the Rangers, and John Gibson had to stop 41 shots. It's... This team is just absurdly bad. I really thought that they'd be good. I mean, you got young guys and Troy Terry, Trevor Zegras. I mean, Adam Henrique. I mean, there's just, I don't know what's going on with this team, man, because I really thought that they'd be special. Last year, they finished in eighth. This year, probably going to finish in eighth again. And that, that's the sad thing, because I know that you, you wanted a team that was probably good from last year and is doing bad this year. But I had to go with the Ducks because they're just so bad. No one thought that they would have this many regulation losses. Like, it, I don't understand how it how it takes you that long. I think the last team that did that, I, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the Coyotes, and I don't necessarily know what year it was, but definitely some type of NHL record there that they almost could have caught up and beat the beat the Coyotes' record of how many losses they had in regulation. But the reason I went with this team is because I still think it's a team that can get it together. I understand last game they lost seven to nothing to the Toronto Maple Leafs, but you know they played a night against a decently good Montreal Canadiens team, and we'll just see what happens. The reason I went with the Ducks is because yes, they're bad, but I also believe that they can be decent. And I understand that this team has really not shown what they can do. I mean, they've just given up a lot of goals day in and day out, losing in regulation all the time it seems, but. I truly believe that they found a superstar in Trevor Zegers. I mean, this kid is just unreal. I mean, he had played in, what, maybe 129 games played in his career. He already has 36 goals. I mean, that's pretty good for a rookie right there. And then, obviously, in the 2020, uh, 2023 season, 2022-2023 season, he's played uh, 30 games, and he has 10 goals already, 13 assists, and he has 23 points. And then you have Troy Terry, who is unbelievably good as well. He has 11 goals, 27 points, and 16 assists. But, you know, I'm not really seeing anyone else really step up here. I mean, you got 14 points with Ryan Strom. Um, Adam Henrique, you know, he's been he's been decent for them. He's done everything he can. But, I mean, I just I need to see more from this team. And it's really quite upsetting about how bad they have been. And, you know, then you forget guys like Cam Fowler, who is 31. He he looks good, but he's just he's not playing up to his potential. I understand that at 31, you know, you you probably passed your prime there, but I still think he can be a decent player for him. Uh, and hopefully, I think all it's going to take for this Ducks team to really gain their confidence is just get a, rack up a couple of wins, you know, win a couple in a row. They haven't done that all year. Um, actually, they might have won some couple of overtime games, but I know that for regulation wins is kind of what I was talking about, is win some regulation wins, rack those up and then you know just kind of see what happens from there because they don't want to finish in eighth place again I think this team is young and good enough to not finish in eighth place but with a start like that it's just been very very abysmal abysmal it is (laughs) okay you're not wrong I expected this team I didn't expect them to make the playoffs but I expected them to be in the playoff picture yeah okay they lost to the San Jose Sharks 6-1. to one. The San Jose Sharks, they scored six goals against this team. Now, I understand that Jamie Drysdale, probably the only good defenseman on this team, has been out since October 31st 
and is expected to be out to at least March because of his shoulder injury. I got you. That's cool. However, that is the only defenseman that has been out for the Anaheim Ducks all season long. The last time I still checked, you have Cam Fowler. You got John Klingberg, who was one of the most prized acquisitions of the offseason. You got Kevin Shattenkirk, the last time I checked. You got Dmitry Kolokov, the last time I checked. Where's, where, where's the defense? These aren't scrubs that I'm telling you about. I mean, Kevin Shattenkirk, I mean, granted, he's north of 30, but he could still play. Dmitry Kolokov, he's north of 30. He could still play. John Klingberg, he got a big contract over the offseason. He could still play. But, oh, my Lord, this team does not play defense. They have a negative 60 goal differential. Man. A negative 60. They are horrible. They, they have played three more games than the Blackhawks, and they still have less points than them because how awful they are. I mean, if it wasn't for Trevor Zegras, the Honda Center would be completely empty. Okay? It, yeah. it is horrible. John Gibson stinks. Okay, I mean, yes, the defense is terrible, but there have been plenty of times that I have seen him play, not just this season, the last two seasons, that he has let cheap goals in. He is not the same. He's only 29. I am not sure what happened to him. He does not look the same. Anthony Stolarz, he's been out with some sort of injury. I believe it's it's just a lower body injury. That's all they described it as. He's going to be out for a couple more days. He'll be back. John Gibson, he's day-to-day with his own injury. It's just undisclosed, so that can mean anything. Um, but Lucas Dostal who I believe he's a young dude, 22 years old. He, my favorite Czech goalie in this league, um, he has promise. But when you have absolutely no defense in front of you, you are <laughs> destined to fail. They, are, they have won seven games. And like you said, Ryan, the one stat that you really got my attention, they didn't have a regulation win till the end of November. That is unacceptable. I don't know why they decided to resign Dallas Akins. That was a big mistake because this team stinks, okay? They should not be this terrible, but how dare I ever decide to criticize the Anaheim Ducks because my cousin's an Anaheim Ducks fan. He should be sorry for himself right now because, oh, my God, they are bad. But having said all that, I just I am not going to go with that team. And I'm not going with the St. Louis Blues because, yes, they've been disappointing, but they're not the most disappointing team in this league. Okay. It is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. They have had three game losing streaks, three of those, in a five game losing streak in this season. Last time I checked, one of those losing streaks, they lost six to three to the Arizona Coyotes, maybe the worst team in the league at home, Mullet Arena. They lost four to nothing. To the Boston Bruins. Now, granted, they're a cup contender. They probably got a Vesna candidate in Lena Solmark. I got you. But then they were steamrolled. 7-1 to by the Devils. On the road in that. So if we do the math right there, that's a 17-4 to aggregate. And a minus 13 in those three games that I just gave you. Brutal. And don't get me started. They lost 9 to four against the Buffalo Sabres. And it gets better. The Buffalo Sabres has six first period goals. Five of those goals were from Tage Thompson. Tage Thompson, baby. 
So whoever had him in fantasy, congratulations. Now I understand. They opened their season with games against Carolina, Tampa Bay, St. Louis. That's tough. I got you. And then they had to go to Finland to travel where they had to play the Avalanche for a pair of games in which they lost both of those games. But that's not where I'm going with here, Ryan. They have shown zero willpower all season long. They are in historic, dangerous territory because the Blue Jackets, especially their front office, they fire people like this. However, that hasn't happened yet. They are 10, 16, and 2 right now. Dead last in the Metropolitan Division. They play Tampa Bay tonight. They're going to get killed. I don't care what anybody says. They have scored 80 goals this season, 11 on the power play. That is dead last on the power play in the league. And that's by a lot, too, by the way. I believe that that is 13%. So that is 3% less than the second-to-last team in the league. That's a lot. They have allowed 115 goals this season. That is third-worst in the league behind the Blackhawks, which that's not saying much. But going into the season, Ryan, the Columbus Blue Jackets, I said, okay, they can't get much more worse defensively, right? <laughs> they changed my mind. Oh, my God. Brad Larson, the coach, he said the main in-game objectives were to allow fewer goals and improve on last season's goal differential on minus 38. Well, guess what? After 28 games, it ain't going too well. It's minus 35 right now. They are tied with the Chicago Blackhawks for the second-to-worst goal differential in the league with a, with a minus 35, and they've allowed 80 goals for a stunning 4.4 per game average. Defensively, they are a mess. I understand Zach Wierenski. He is hurt. Adam Boquist, I Blue Jacket fans, I knew it that he stunk. And sure enough, he does. He stinks defensively. He is horrible. Jake Bean, he's out for at least since March. He's going to be out till March. Zach Rowenski, easily their best defenseman on that team. He's going to be out till April with a shoulder injury. And then uh, Nick Blankenberg, who actually who has promise in the future, he's out until next week. So that's definitely a couple defensemen that are hurt. But... Oh, my God. Eunice Corposalo and Elvis, Elvis Merz-Lincolns. Oh, my God. I really thought these were going to be guys that are going to improve. They stink. They, they stink. Obviously, defensively, this team is a mess. But there has been plenty of times they, they look hopeless, okay? I mean, the amount of times that opposing players are left alone after blown coverages. Sidney Crosby on October 22nd, when the Penguins won 6-3, left all alone in front of Elvis Mers Lincolns. It was a disaster, but the confusion. It rains when the puck slides below the hash marks in the Blue Jacket zone, leading to multiple mistakes. The puck battles, they're being won a lot more than more often by opposing players. Their turnovers, the indecisive or the ill-advised exit passes, they are putting Elvis Mers Lincolns and they're putting Eunice Corposalo in terrible situations. And by the way, this notion of toughness and grit with defenseman Eric uh, Goodbranson in for, uh, forward Matthew Oliver, 
Yeah, I haven't seen that materialize yet. This team doesn't look like they want to do anything. So, uh, got, uh, Johnny Gaudreau, did you make the right decision of going to Columbus? Uh, you could have gone to New York, just saying. And uh, But more important, Ryan, Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine, they cannot play together. They cannot play together. There is no cohesiveness at all. Boone Jenner and Jack uh, uh, Roslovic, they are not the answer for the centering part. But even though that they've changed their 1-3-1 setup, the Blue Jackets keep flundering with this man advantage. They are horrible. The amount of passes, they're too fancy. They are predictable. And just like that, this team is missing the playoffs again and in the Connor Bernard sweepstakes. Yeah, you're exactly right. And then the, the other thing, you know, that I think you might have mentioned, but you know how many uh, shots this team gives up a game? Probably 40. 35.5. That's close. Yeah, it's, it's just horrendous. I believe it's either second worst or third worst in the league. I'm, I'm going to say it's the second worst well, in the league. Well, the only reason Winnipeg's relevant is because Connor Hellebuck. Exactly. But, yeah, no, you, uh, you exactly said everything that I was going to say. The goalie situation, I really thought in the offseason they needed to make a change. I didn't think Jonas Corposalo was— He has value still, surprisingly. He does. But, you know, I guess if you want to say one positive thing for the Blue Jackets is they got their guy in Johnny Hockey. Johnny Goudreau has been good for them, but they have no one else. There's no cohesiveness. Right, and it's, it's like what you said, too. It seems like after they win a game, or even if they lose a game, they don't want to win again. They don't seem to want to win again. I mean, it just doesn't seem like, you know, with other teams, you know, you lose... Any any sport you lose, you want to win the next game. That's what you would think, right? But the Blue Jackets just come out and let up thirty five shots again, and then they just get absolutely steamrolled. And like like you said, they play Tampa Bay tonight, and They're that's gonna just not going to be. I'll make a prediction right now: six to two Tampa Bay. That's my guess. We'll, we'll see what five happens. Two, yeah, five so. two, yeah, something like that. But you know, hopefully, the only nice thing is the long season. But for them, they need to make a change soon. Whether that be the front office change, whether that be a player change, whether that be something. Uh, I really like the young goalie, like you said. But why would you put him out there when they're giving up that many shots a goal, shots in a game? It's just not. It's a disaster. It's just horrendous. But you know, I really like the two teams we picked, and uh, I'm happy that we didn't talk about the Blues because obviously they I don't. They stink too. Don't 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 think they're not. All... Listen, they're not good, but they're also not disappointing yet. I love how yet was the last word that came out of your mouth. I see how it is. All right, let's get Ben in here for some NFL action here. It's December. It's a time for the contenders to emerge and the pretenders to fade away. <clears throat> the Packers. Um, so, Ben, let's get going here. Do you think the Detroit Lions can make the playoffs? Well, I I would love I would love for them to because it's a team that's just incredibly easy to root for. If if you don't like their head coach and Dan Campbell, I'm not sure that you like football. And they're a fun team too. I'm gonna go ahead and say no. I mean, who would have thought that we'd even be having this conversation when they were sitting there at one and six? There was talks about moving on from another head coach, which they've done it seems like every other year with Matt Patricia and, and all the coaches they ran through before that. But to, to then go on this run and, and win five out of six and the only one loss being on what took a perfectly executed game-winning drive by the Bills to lose to, I mean, it's it's a Lions team that I think can compete with, with most teams that they play. And they've really leaned into their style of football, which is we don't have an incredible defense, but we're going to outscore you. We're going to play really well at home scoring-wise, and it, we're just going to give you about all you can handle. I mean, Dan Campbell wasn't lying when he said we're going to bite your kneecaps off on the way up. I but love that quote. Just, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how can I mean it's it's easy for him to rile a team up when when they're winning for sure. But so as as you look at the landscape for the Lions, I would say that what's going to happen here over their final four games is 
it's playing into what we've said about Jared Goff for the past couple of years and that it's not the same guy when it's in cold weather outdoors and it's not the same guy when he faces pressure. He's been incredible lately and I think he's absolutely won the job for the Lions going into the future. I think that they're probably going to pivot away from taking a quarterback in this draft unless things change over this last month. But as you look at them this weekend, they go face the Jets on the road and those are two things that don't help the Lions. It is going to be frigid temperatures, supposed to be below freezing and East Rutherford, Rutherford and they're going to play an incredible defense, a championship-level defense in the Jets under Robert Sala. Then they go and play maybe not as cold, but still an outdoor game against the Panthers, another defense that's played very well this year. Then they're going to come back. They're going to beat the Bears at home. Sorry, and I think the Bears would probably welcome that because they want a higher draft pick. So I welcome I'll, it. I'll, 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 I'll hope the Bears out there. And then they're going to go play the Packers on the road where the Lions are absolutely a better team than the Packers, but it's going to be probably like three degrees outside and snowy in Lambeau in the second week of January. And Aaron Rodgers is going to be sitting there thinking, man, it's a team that I have owned for the entire time that I've been here, not to the Bears level, but a team that he's owned in Detroit. And Aaron Rodgers is like, man, could I send Detroit home out of the playoffs once again? I would I would not say that the Lions are the worst team there, but I don't know if I'd be able to pick against Aaron Rodgers. So it, Lions this season have won just two road games, and when you look at them having to play three of their final four on the road, they probably will be favored in at least two out of the, those four total games, but I don't know if I'd be able to pick them to go better than two and two, which would sit them at eight, nine overall on the season. Eight, nine probably is going to get you the playoffs is not going to get you to the playoffs. And especially now with the giants and commanders having a tie. So where you can't really, um, you can't tie with them. That hurts the, that hurts the Lions because they beat both the commanders and they beat the giants as well. So that tie takes the tiebreaker out of the favor of the Lions. So um, this is a team that absolutely, I mean, if this team with the Detroit, they're going to have a top five pick from the Rams and then their own draft pick. They have one more good draft. The Lions could compete for the NFC North as soon as next year. When you look at the Bears are a few years away, the Packers are, are going to have to rebuild. And who knows what the Vikings do? They already beat the Vikings once th this year and gave them all they could handle in Minnesota back in week three. So the Lions could compete for the North as soon as next year um, under Jared Goff and this coaching staff and this offense who hasn't even added Jamison Williams outside of a couple snaps and a touchdown on Sunday. Um, I'm not going to pick them to make the playoffs this year. I will absolutely be rooting for them. I don't consider um, – my hatred for the Lions as I do to the same degree for the Packers and Bears as a division rival. Um, but D Detroit, I'm sadly going to say they missed it at eight, nine, but they, they swing one out of those games. I think the two games are going to be jets and the Packers games. Can you swing one out of those two games and take care of business against the Panthers and Bears? You go nine and eight and you maybe find yourselves playing in the, in the playoffs in January. Okay. Well, I disagree with you. Um, I believe the Lions, if they finish, I believe they will finish the last four games 3-1. and one. And in order to make the playoffs, they need two of the other three teams that they need, so the Commanders, Giants, and Seahawks, to lose three of their, four, of their final four games. I think that is very possible. The Giants have to finish off with the Commanders, the Vikings, the Colts, and the Eagles. And I said they need to lose... Three of their final four games. I can totally see that happening because the Giants have been reeling a lot lately. So I see that being possible. Seattle, the 49ers, the Chiefs, the Jets, and the Rams. Totally see that too. So with when you take the schedule into consideration, because we take a look at this, honestly, it is very possible that they win these last couple of games. They will beat the Bears. They will beat the Packers. I think they could beat the Jets because Keenan uh, Williams is going to be out. 
uh, for the foreseeable future. So we'll see. That definitely is a shot to the heart, in my opinion. And Mike White, we don't know what's going to happen with him. He may be hurt. And if Zach Wilson's back in there, they're no threat at all. So I look at that, and then I look at the elevation with Jared Goff has gone with his game lately. I mean, they have won five of six to get to six and seven. This is a team that started one and six and looked like they were done already. And they got a game and a half of being in the playoff picture, and that has everything to do with Jared Goff. I mean, this dude... He's completely underrated this year in the passing game. And I got to give credit where credit's due to their offensive coordinator. I believe it's Ben Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. He has done Correct. a thank you. He's done a very good job. They have a good running game in Jamal Williams in the red zone. They got DeAndre Swift getting back up to to uh task, obviously. And the defense has improved over the last month with Aiden Hutchinson getting the quarterback, who I believe is phenomenal. He would be the first, by the way, draft pick, in my opinion, over Walker for this previous draft because Aiden Hutchinson is that dude. He He's sort of giving me Nick Bosa sort of vibes getting to the quarterback. And honestly, their secondary has work to do, but it can improve. And the Lions, good news for them because if Jared Goff continues to play like this, well, guess what? You don't have to take a quarterback in the first round. You could be like the Atlanta Falcons, and you could take a quarterback in the third round like the dude from Washington. So, honestly, I believe uh, basically that dude from Washington is basically a Tua Tonga Vilola, but can throw faster, basically, is what that dude is. I believe It's like Penix or something like that. I believe that's his last name. But honestly— Oh, I, yes, correct. You, you're Michael Penix Jr. Yep. Thank you. Yes. But, yeah, honestly, this Lions team, Jared Goff, he, he honestly, they can continue to play like this. I think he looks better than he ever did in Los Angeles, in my opinion. How many teams, trivia question, how many teams have made the playoffs after starting at 1-6 in the season? Um, Let's go with one. None. You know the first wow. team it's going to be? The Detroit Lions, and I'll tell you why right now. And honestly, this is the biggest game coming up, like Ben said. This is the biggest game because you just destroy. Um, sorry, Ben, maybe they didn't destroy your Vikings, but they they played them very they, good. Here's they the thing. the Vikings defense. Here's the thing that worries yes. me. The hangover game, and it's in New York, and it's going to be cold. And like you said, Ben, they can't win on the road. And yes, I'm... Find out. Yeah, we will find out. And I'm very, I've been high on this team. I'm very fortunate enough, enough to have a radio show, uh, be able to go on a radio show in Detroit, Michigan on Monday nights. And I always get the pre- privilege to talk about the Lions. So I have a lot to say. However, this is a shorter show, so I will not be saying everything. But one of the main reasons I think the Lions just have what whatever whatever they're doing is going well for them. Thank you, Pat McAfee. If anyone watched his show, he had Dan Campbell on, and Dan Campbell said the football gods are on his side, and I will tell you two reasons why. The first reason is, they had a play where it was like fourth down or something, and he and um, Dan Campbell was t- telling Jared Goff, hey, don't r- don't run the ball. But he mis- he I- he forgot to hold the button down, so it just said run the ball. And they ended up getting the first down out of it, and it worked out. The second one is when Panay Sewell got the ball in the I last game. Dan Campbell didn't even want that to happen. He's like, why are we throwing the ball to Pennell Sewell? And it just ended up working out for him. So they've been having the ball bounce the right way. They've been doing everything they can. 
And I 100% agree. They can beat the Bears at home. The only the only worry is, obviously, like Ben said, they have three of the last four on the road, and that is very worrisome. But this team is still putting up points on points on points. And you have J-Mo, and he's going to be phenomenal for this team. He's only played in two games, but he's going to really show why he's such a great wide receiver in these last four games. He's healthy now. He's going to be great, I think. And the the one question you're going to have at the end of the year is, is Jared Goff going to get an extension? Because I do believe that this man deserves one. He's going if he, to, uh, if he goes out and gets the Lions into the playoffs, he 100% deserves one. And I, like you said, the one reason I think that they can do this is strictly because of the other three teams that, that they're fortunate to have play. Because tonight, you no, Sunday night, you got Washington and the Giants. One team has to lose. So there you go. You're already on a good path there. And then the only thing that you said, Luca, that I, I feel like you probably knew this, you didn't say it, uh, with the Giants is their last game is against the Eagles and an Eagles team that more than likely has number one seed wrapped up there. So I don't know how they're going to play that game. I don't think the Giants are that good, though. Besides, but, with the exception of Saquon Bar- Barkley, there is nobody in that offense that scares me. That's true. But, you know, I think with the Dan Campbell effect, with you you got Williams in the backfield, you got Swift in the backfield, you got Amon Ross St. Brown, you got all these great players, and I just feel Chark like... looks good lately. Exactly, and I think that they're just going to find a way. I mean, you know, there's a lot of teams, what, maybe five or six that technically have a chance to win 3-1 and one or, you know, win out, and I really do believe that the Lions are going to be one of these teams that are going to shock the world. I mean, who would have thought that they started off 1-6 and six and are now winning five of their last six? And like Ben said, in a game that they could have easily beat the Bills, but the Bills just had a tremendous last drive. I mean, if you're telling me you, you your last six games, you won on a five-game winning streak and the one loss came against the Bills and you only lost by three points, that is a dang good football team. And I I I really do believe that this team has what it takes to uh, to run the board. I mean, run the table, 3-1, and one, it's very possible. And I think they've been having the ball... Uh, they've been having the ball fumble the right way. I do believe they're going to have other teams fumble, and they're going to make the playoffs. All right, very quickly here, this last part. I never doubted the Lions um, getting... I mean, the thing is, we never doubted them playing offense. They have been good playing offense all year. What we doubted defense. is them defense and then winning games. They couldn't win games. Now they're winning games. So everything is sort of coming together is one puzzle piece, and now we're seeing the after effects of it. But let's move on now to the other division, the A- the other conference, rather, the AFC, which is just loaded this year. You got the Buffalo Bills. You got the Miami Dolphins. You you got you put the Jets in there as well. You got the Cincinnati Bengals. You got the Ravens. Then you look at the other, then you look at the AFC West. You got the Kansas City Chiefs. You got the Chargers sort of looming in there. But uh, Ben, I'll start with you here. Um, which team? in your eyes, is going to end up, uh, which team in the AFC should be the favorite to make the Super Bowl? Well, I won't go completely in depth here as we are running up against the clock, but I'm, I'm going to take the, the team that's currently not even leading their division. That's the Cincinnati Bengals. I do think by this t- season ends, the Cincinnati will be a division winner. And if they get one or two things falling their way, they could be as high as the one seed when you consider they already have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs and they play the Bills on Monday Night Football in two weeks in Cincinnati, which, by the way, will be a, a fantastic game. So I am sure all eyes will be locked in on that. And then Bengals play the Ravens to close out the season. So if they can get two big wins there both at their place in Cincinnati I mean it's a team that one will win their division and if they can get one more loss from the Chiefs then they'll they'll grab the number one seed in the entire conference and the Bengals 
a completely underrated defense. You probably couldn't tell me more than four players on that side of the football, and that's not two guys. That's the NFL fans in general don't know players on that defense, and yet they really sure up when it matters in the second half, and they got forced key turnovers against the Chiefs when it mattered. They forced a Travis Kelsey fumble. They got a sack on Mahomes, which forced them to punt when Mahomes wanted to go for it. Then the Bengals ended up icing the game right there. Um, and if you look at some of the other contenders, the Chiefs on defense, they scare me a little bit right now. They made Russell Wilson look like he was 2015, 2012 prime Russell Wilson the other day. Until the injury, he was in the middle of leading the Broncos on a comeback from down 27 nothing. And then for the Bills, I mean, I think if you see this offense, and it was asked in press conference the other day, they lack weapons right now outside of Stephon Diggs. I don't think Gabe Davis is taking the step forward that they expected. There's a reason they're bringing Cole Beasley out of the retirement home back out of the football field, and that's because they need another player for Josh Allen to be able to go to with a passing game and run the football. It's been better with James Cook of late, but it's still asking Josh Allen to run the ball seven to ten times a game and take all those hits. Meanwhile, with the Bengals, they have the ability to put teams away. When Joe Burrow um, gets the ball at quarterback one, he gets about out about as fast as any quarterback in the league, which combats, um, although they're not as bad, combats some of the offensive line issues. He's thrown only five picks in his last 12 games, so he's playing turnover-free football, and they're getting healthier too. And I know um, I say that right as T. Higgins and Tyler Board are dealing with some stuff, but they just got Joe Mixon back. Jamar has been back for the last two games and they expect it to be just day to day with Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. So um, as long as they can get Trey Hendrickson back on the defensive line at the end of the season before the playoffs start, it's a team where if you're trailing late, good luck because they can put you away. We saw it against the chiefs with two third down conversions and why not? Why would I not pick them because they were in the Super Bowl last year. They can win on the road or at home. And I'm just not going to bet, bet against them right now because they seem to elevate their play in the moments that matter the most under Joe Burrow. You know, Ben, we don't really agree with a lot of things, but I'm agreeing with you. It is the Cincinnati Bengals. We saw the earlier part of the season that it looked like they were having some Super Bowl hangover. They didn't look the same. They couldn't beat the Cleveland Browns. But ever since that blowout, loss against Jacoby Brissett in the Cleveland Browns on Halloween, this team has been a different animal. And I think part of the reason is the offensive line. Joe Burrow, the 32 sacks that he has taken this season, it seems like a lot, right? But 13 of those 32 sacks came over the first two games of the season. So the offensive line is starting to gel together, and that is something that Joe Burrow needs to have time to throw the football to the Jamar Chases, the T. Higgins, and the Tyler Boyds of the world. But we also see that their backups in Irwin and Taylor, that they look pretty good as well in the passing game. So having that depth is also helping them a lot. But we saw, Ben and Ryan, that Joe Mixon, when he went down with that concussion, their running game almost looked better with Samaj P. Ryan. He actually looked really good in the running game. He's also very good in the passing game as well, so that gives Joe Burrow another option in the passing game. But the reason why I have more confidence in the Cincinnati Bengals than I do with the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs is because they don't really have a running game. They rely way too much on their quarterbacks. Josh Allen is relied upon way too much to be superhero. They're not using Devin Singletary. They're not using James Cook 
enough to to make me believe that they have an even balanced offense. They're reliant on Josh Allen's arm and his legs to get to get points on the board. Same thing could be said about the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. They rely on him to sh- to uh, showcase his heroics to find all the receivers. They don't use Pachenko enough. But then you look at the Cincinnati Bengals and you're like, okay, they're using Joe Mixon, they're using Samaj P. Ryan, and they're using Joe Burrow at a, as enough so that way they can get points on the scoreboard. And then you look at the defense. Yes, Buffalo, in my opinion, has a good defense. But losing Von Miller this late in the season is definitely going to hurt them. Uh, Kansas City, their secondary is abysmal with both uh, with both cornerbacks as um, rookies, so that definitely hurts them. But the Cincinnati Bengals, it may not be a good fantasy defense, but man, with Von Bell, uh, Bates, and DJ Reader in the secondary, definitely they make me feel very confident getting back to the Super Bowl. Isn't uh, Ben? Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Von Miller out for the season? He is. He's done. Yeah. Yes, so that that's gonna be tough. Uh, you know, I don't really have much to say here because I I really think it could just go either way. It's really tough to pick a team. Cincinnati was there last year. They're gonna want to get there again. I do think for some reason though, I think that Josh Allen can he can have one game in the postseason where he can show that he can actually finish the game because you know when the lights are the brightest, he does not shine the best. And I feel like they beat the Chiefs this year already. If they get him again in this in the uh, in the AFC Championship, whatever it may be, I do think that they can they can win that, and I do think that they would be another team that you could potentially say is a Super Bowl favorite. I know what Lucas said, they don't run the ball, but that passing game is still immaculate. I think bringing out Cole Beasley is really going to help them. I understand that he's an old guy, but I mean, he helped them out really good, really well last year. I think he'll do it again. He'll do it again this year. But I mean, you can't, you really can't go wrong with the Bengals. I mean, I think a lot of people, I I wouldn't say they they wrote them off, but at the beginning of the year, the Bengals. Bengals just were not the Bengals. I mean, if you remember, they were losing games that they should have been winning. That's true. But, you know, it's kind of like the Lions. They got their stuff together, and now they're playing really good. So, you know, it's it's going to be exciting to see what happens. The AFC is really just a toss-up. But I would say uh, you guys you guys did good here. I'd say the Bengals and the Bills. Obviously, you can't count the Chiefs. But I would say the Bengals and the Bills are probably the top two favorites to make it to the Super Bowl. Um, but then, you know, you have other teams, too. I mean, I, I honestly think the Ravens potentially could still steal oh, that please. division. I really no. do think they could. But no. I don't know. We'll see what happens. They don't play offense. That's true. But I, I really think that Week 18 game... Even with Lamar, they don't look that great. That Week 18 game in... Uh, was it in Cincinnati? or is it, It's either in Cincinnati it's or Baltimore. A, it's in Cincinnati. It's I think Cincinnati. that's going to determine the, the, the division. I, I think I've it's been, Cincinnati. I've yeah. been saying it the whole entire time, and whoever wins that game is going to win the division. So That's... That is my pick right now to be the final game of the season, Sunday Night Football for all yeah. the marbles. All right, Mark we got like down. a minute. So very quick here. Who is winning the terrible... NFC South. I have to go with Tampa, guys. I have to. Yep, I'm going to go Tampa, too. I don't like it, and whoever wins is going to fall to Dallas in the first round, even though Dallas isn't great in the playoffs. Oh, we'll find out. Yeah, I'll I'll take Tampa here reluctantly, just based on the schedules. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate to see a team like Tampa sneak in there, and it's not going to happen. I'm going with the Panthers. All right. I guess with that note, we're going to end the show. That is it. For Around the Waves, for first semester, Ryan's finale on Around the Waves. And, fellas, have a great winter break, and we will see you in 2023.